0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Jean Ross. Hello friends, this is Pastor Jean Ross. Pastor Doug is out this evening, but how about an amazing fact?
1: At the entrance to the Grey Fires Cemetery in Edinburgh, Scotland, is a statue of a Sky Terrier named Bobby. This little terrier was a familiar sight in the 1850s as he trotted beside his master, policeman Old Jock, on their nightly rounds. Then in 1858, his master Jock suddenly died of tuberculosis and was buried in the Greyfriars Cemetery. Much to the surprise of the residents of Edinburgh, a Bobby refused to leave Jock's grave. Cemetery workers repeatedly shooed him away, but he kept returning to the spot where his master was buried. Stormy weather, freezing nights, the ground keepers, well-meaning locals, and even Jock's family all tried to entice him away from his self-appointed post, but without success. Month after month and year after year he sat guarding his master's grave. Bobby would only leave his post for a few minutes at one o'clock in the afternoon, following the firing of the cannon in Edinburgh's castle. He would cross the cobblestone street to a pub where he was fed table scraps and then returned to his faithful watch. Crowds came to the cemetery just to see this amazing dog. For 14 years he kept watch at his master's grave until he died on the 14th of January 1872 at the age of 16. A long life for a Sky Terrier. He was duly buried next to his master, and these words were written on his grave marker, Grave Friars Bobby, let his loyalty and devotion be a lesson to us all. Well, you know, friends, Bobby's faithfulness to his earthly master is a reminder to us to be faithful to our heavenly master Jesus. We want to welcome all of those who are joining us to Bible Answers Live. This is a live interactive international Bible study. So if you have a Bible-related question, we would love to hear from you this evening. The phone number to call with your Bible question is 800-463-7297, and that will get you on the air, and we'll be happy to hear from you this evening. And joining me is Pastor Carlos Munez, who is helping with the phones. Pastor Carlos, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Maranatha. Hi I'm glad you you're here. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> okay. Well, we started the uh, program by talking about a little dog who is, uh, was proven to be very faithful to his master. I've actually been to Scotland, to Edinburgh, and we've driven past the cemetery. And sure enough, there's this little statue of the dog known as... Bobby. Bobby, the faithful watchdog. Apparently, he would growl at people if they came too close to his master's grave. But for 14 years, he sat God. Talk about faithfulness. You know, uh, I re- read this one a prayer that was actually prayed by a pet owner. It said, Lord, let me become the person my dog already thinks I am. Amen. You know, dogs <laughs> do have a faithfulness that, that really uh, is an illustration of, of what we need to have. We need to be faithful Christians. I'm reminded of something that Jesus said. and We find this in Matthew chapter 24. Speaking of end time events, Jesus said, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences. Well, of course, we know that's true today. And earthquakes in various places. I understand, Carlos, there was just an earthquake uh, yesterday yep. in Haiti. Uh, verse 8, Matthew 24, verse 8. And they w- this is the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. And you will be lifted up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10 says, And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But here's the point I want to emphasize. Verse 13, But he that endures to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. To be a Christian in these last days requires endurance or perseverance. I'm also reminded of another verse that we find in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 talking about the remnant, those who are living at the end of time. And it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So God's people in the last days will have loyalty. They will have endurance and perseverance. Now, we do have a free offer that talks about the importance of perseverance and being faithful in the Christian life. It is a book written by Pastor Doug Batchelor. It's entitled, Assurance, Justification Made Simple. How can we have that uh, perseverance? Well, we need to accept everything that Jesus has done for us and everything Jesus wants to do in us and through us. And our free book, it's all about that. And we'd be happy to send that to anyone in North America who would call and ask. So, Pastor Carlos, who
2: does a person call if they want to get the book? If they want to get the book, they have to call 1-800-835-6747 for the free offer. And
1: again, just ask for the book written by Pastor Doug. It's called Assurance, Justification Made Simple. And once again, if you have a Bible-related question, the number to call here into the studio is 800-463-7297. If you don't get in right away, just uh, stay on the phone. I'm sure one of our our call screeners will be able to take your call. So again, that number is 800-463-7297.
2: Pastor Carlos, do we have anyone waiting online at the moment? We have a number of people waiting Uh, Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you. Father, we thank you again for the blessing and the opportunity to come together and spend time in your word with the callers so that we can grow the faith to persevere until the end, too. And so as we collaborate and uh, spend time, we just ask that your spirit guide us and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yes. So we have our first caller is Greg calling us from Michigan. Greg, good evening. You're on the air.
3: Uh, My question is, what empirical evidence exists to firmly establish the date of the stoning of Stephen at 34 A.D.? I know it fits perfectly into uh, the prophecy of Daniel, but I've seen conflicting dates on the Internet of 34 and 36.
1: Okay, well, that's a good question. I think part of the confusion that some people might have is because of the A.D., BC dating method. And of course, people know that BC stands for before Christ, and then AD, Ado Domini, it's actually Latin, it means in the year year of our Lord. Lord. And the AD-BC dating system was not actually established until um, a number of years after Christ. So uh, several, actually, I think 100, 200 years after Christ, maybe even a little later, they began to date things that way, and they kind of went back. They weren't exactly accurate with the date of Christ's birth. Jesus was actually born somewhere around 4 B.C. So then that would make his baptism 27 A.D., his death 31 A.D., and then the stoning of Stephen would be 34 A.D. Now the reason we know 34 A.D. is a solid date is because we know the baptism of Jesus. We know that's a solid date. We also know that Christ ministered for three and a half years in person, and then he was crucified because he rose from the dead and then you have another three and a half years when the apostles primarily focused their missionary activity on the Jews. And then the stoning of Stephen um, was sort of the end of that three and a half time period committed to reaching the Jews. Of course, Saul is converted that same year and he becomes Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, so we know that was sort of the close of that probationary time period that God had given to the Jews to come to repentance so that's probably part of the confusion why you see different dates. But, um, you know, if you look at a good commentary, it'll make it quite clear that 4 B.C. was right around 4 or 3 B.C. is the birth of Jesus. His baptism is 27. His death, 31. Stoning of Stephen, 34.
3: Uh, I un- I understand, uh, you know, the you know, 4 B.C. and all that. Uh, the question I have is, what, what establishes for sure that stoning of steam was, was uh, 34 and not 36? Do we have other historical evidence to correspond with it?
1: Okay, well, we got internal evidence from the Bible that gives us the year when um, Christ was born, where we have the decree by Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And that, of course, brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Uh, the Bible says, you know, Caesar Augustus made that decree, and we also know from uh, outside biblical accounts that that decree did go into effect by Caesar Augustus in 4 B.C., or thereabout, 4 B.C. or 3 B.C. So that's the external evidence. Then once you got that date, then, of course, you just simply do the math and follow it through. Uh, Jesus was 30 at his baptism. Uh, he died three and a half years later. Stephen was stoned three and a half years after that.
2: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your call. Good question. We appreciate it. All right. Next question, we have Anthony from my home state of New York. Anthony, good evening. You're on the air.
3: Good evening, pastors. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. My question is, what commandment or which commandment did Adam and Eve break? Um, I was thinking, is it thou shalt not covet? Is it thou shalt not have no other gods before me because they wanted to be
4: like God?
1: Okay. I think it was more than one. Um, so let's just kind of go through <laughs> the list. So it begins with, uh, you know, we have Eve looking at the tree and it says that she saw the tree. It was uh, beautiful. It was desirous to make one wise. So definitely the 10th commandment that says, "Thou shall not covet. That's, that's where it started. And um, in reality... Almost all sin begins with the breaking of the 10th commandment, which is covetousness or selfishness. And then, of course, she took something that didn't belong to her. God said you can have all of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but you're not supposed to eat the tree in the midst of the garden. Uh, and, of course, she took and ate it, so that would break the commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. Uh, she desired, she chose a God above God, so, yes, she broke the first commandments. She did choose a different God above God. Um, and then, of course, she gave it to her husband, and the result of which was death. And in one sense, Adam and Eve could, could have also broken the commandment that says, Thou shalt not kill, because Jesus, God, made it clear that the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So when, when, you look at, when you look at what happened in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just one commandment that was broken, it's sort of a chain reaction. And uh, I think definitely the 10th would be one of the most obvious, and the one that says, Thou shalt not steal, and then, of course, Thou shalt have no other gods before me.
3: Fantastic. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Great question.
2: Thanks for your call. All right. Next we have Ricardo from Fresno, California. He's also asking to ask about Genesis. Ricardo, good evening. You're on the air.
4: Good evening, Pastor. So my question is in regards to Genesis 3. And so I'm just going to read. It says it says on the first chapter, tra- uh, Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, The serpent was more subtle than the beasts of the field. So then as I go down to 14, so... My question is really is, um, did the serpent have a choice as being a medium? Because when I read uh, uh, verse 14, um, well, the curse starts with the ringleader. And so, um, and it says, uh, and it says, verse 14, it says, And the Lord God had said to the serpent, because thou hast done this. And so, as, you, as I read further down, he speaks to the serpent almost, well, in the same words he spoke to Adam and Eve so which gives me an understanding that the serpent had an opportunity to be the medium or not is my question
1: okay the medium
4: of of of, of, of Satan. the devil
1: sure so in other words yes. did did the did the snake have a choice in the matter yes uh no i don't believe the snake had a choice you know the animal didn't have the ability to choose um the devil did impersonate the serpent or maybe he possessed the serpent we do know that evil spirits or demons are able to possess animals. And the reason we know that, you'll remember the story where uh, there were two demoniacs and uh, Jesus cast the evil spirits out of them and they went into the pigs and the pigs went and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. So it is possible for animals to be uh, possessed by evil spirits. So the devil possessed the snake. And apparently serpents back then uh, must have been dazzling creatures. It must have been beautiful. Uh, quite possibly, they even had the ability to fly because the, you know, after uh, Adam and Eve sinned, the curse that came upon the serpent is from now on you're going to go about on your belly. So um, Bible scholars do think that it's possible that snakes might have even had wings prior to that. But unfortunately, yes, because uh, the devil used a serpent, from then on a serpent becomes a symbol of rebellion, a symbol of Satan. And in verse 14 where God is speaking to the serpent... Um, of course, the serpent here is a symbol of the devil. And whenever somebody sees a snake, they are to remember uh, what rebellion has done. Uh, so, no, unfortunately, the snake didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, but he does become a symbol of the devil and sin. Does that help, Ricardo? Thank
4: you. That it sure does. It does help a lot. And I appreciate you guys' ministry, and God bless.
2: All right. Thanks for your call. Amen. Thank you very much. Next, we have Jordan from Tennessee, Jordan, you are on the air.
3: Yes, um, I have a question about Psalms um, 116. I've read it in different versions. I still can't understand what that part is saying.
1: Uh, you mentioned Psalms 116. Yes. Was there a particular verse?
3: Three through, say, seven.
1: Okay, well, let's look at a few of them. I know that we have folks who are driving and uh, they might not have the Bible there near to them. But let me read a few verses. Psalm 116, verse 3 says, The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol, or other words, the graves, laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple and was brought low he saved me return to your rest o my soul for the f- for the lord has dealt bountifully with you and so the the question is w- what is what is david speaking about here in this verse yeah okay well of course remember david was being hunted by saul for a number of years prior to him actually becoming king and david had a number of close calls where God preserved his life. Uh, For a while there, he was living in the wilderness. He was living in a cave. He had to escape to the area controlled by the Philistines. And he had to learn through experiences to become very dependent upon God. And he saw God protect him on many occasions. And this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving for God's deliverance of David. And it's, of course, applicable to believers as well. Um, But it's it's a psalm of praise, thanking God for his deliverance. So in essence... David is saying, I came very close to death, where he says, the pains of death surrounded me. It's as if the grave laid hold of him, but God delivered him from that. There were times when it seemed as though David was doomed. And then the last minute, God sort of opened up the way, and he found a way of escape, or he was rescued on on many occasions. So that's really what what the psalm is about. It's a psalm of praise for the deliverance and the mercy of God.
3: All right, well, thank you.
2: Okay, great. Thanks for calling. All right, thank good you. Good to be much. next. We have uh, another caller down that same line. The same topic. This is Billy from Texas. Billy, good evening. You're on the air.
3: Hi. Um. I just uh was trying to ask about uh. I think it's Luke 16, around 24. Yeah, 24.
2: Rich man and Lazarus.
3: Um. Yeah. If um. If. We d- if we're not going to heaven or hell until the rapture, then I don't see where this. Uh, Great, you just. That's where my question is.
1: Okay, great question. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking that. For those who might be listening, and you're not, uh, once again, you're not familiar with Luke chapter 16 verse 19, we find an interesting parable. It's the parable there about uh, the heading of that is the rich man and Lazarus. And so Jesus told this parable about a certain rich man who was living very well, and there was a beggar named Lazarus that was lying at his gate, and the rich man didn't provide anything to help the poor man. But over time, the rich man died and Lazarus died. And then in the parable, Lazarus goes to a place of paradise, referred to here as Abraham's bosom. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Whereas the rich man goes to a place of torment or hell. And then the rich man who is in hell looks up to Lazarus, who is in Abraham's bosom and says, you know, it's so hot down here. Can you just put a little drop of water on my tongue? And uh, the message comes back, no, there's a great goal fixed, we can't do that. But then the rich man calls back up again and says, you know, I have these other brothers, I have five brothers, and um, I don't want them to come to this place of torment. So I beg of you, send someone to my father's house, send Lazarus to my father's house so that he can warn them. Then the message comes back, well, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And then he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, but he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, this parable is not a description of what happens when a person dies. The Bible makes it clear that when a person dies, his next conscious thought is the second coming of Christ and the glorious resurrection, if they are a believer. But Jesus is making a very important point. Notice this is the only parable, Pastor Carlos, where somebody in the parable is actually named. Here we have a parable with a name, and this person's name is Lazarus. Mm -hmm. And Lazarus dies, and the question is asked, well, they will believe if Lazarus is resurrected. Well, the reality is that shortly after this parable was told, somebody whose name was Lazarus did die, and three days later Jesus did resurrect him, and still the religious leaders refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. So this was really a parable pointing out their unbelief and their stubbornness to acknowledge the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, It was also uh, part of the Greek mythology. The Greeks had this belief that kind of filtered a little way even into Judaism at the time, that there was this place of torment and this place of paradise, and immediately when a person died, they went to one place or the other. And Jesus used that common belief to illustrate a truth. And the truth is, uh, even if somebody is resurrected from the dead, in that case Lazarus, that's not going to be enough to convince somebody if they turn away from the Word of God. That's really what the parable is all about. So it's just
3: a a comparison, kind of a parable, just... Okay.
1: Yeah, it's to make the point, and again, it's the the point is is quite clear there that it's talking about somebody by the name of Lazarus who was resurrected from the dead, and the religious leaders still refuse to acknowledge Jesus.
2: Yeah. I think it also points to at the end it says the 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 saved are looking at the lost, that context, and I think it's also making reference to the millennium mm-hmm. when right before the fire comes to consume, the those inside of the city are looking at those on the outside, and those on the outside are looking at the inside. So I think it also ties in a little bit of the...
1: That's right. And every destiny is set, right? Yeah. There's there's no changing changing sides. You know, we do have a lesson. Some people do have a question about this and uh, the subject of what happens when a person dies. We do have a study guide that's simply called Are the Dead Really Dead? and it explores this Bible truth and many others and actually deals with this passage of Scripture. We'll be happy to send that study guide to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can just ask for the study guide. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? And we have a magazine that you can get through amazing fact called deathtruth.com that also deals with the subject.
2: Who do we have next? All right. Next we have Hannah calling from Abilene, Texas. Hello, Anna. You are on the air.
4: Okay. My question comes from 1 Timothy um, it is 5.23, where it says, No longer drink all the water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And I know we're not supposed to drink alcohol, and I'm just wondering if I'm misunderstanding that.
1: Okay. Good question. Yes. Um, there are situations, not, not as you know, today it's it's a little different. We do get fresh drinking water, but as f- far back as the Middle Ages in England and throughout Europe, uh, the water was w- w- wasn't was fresh. And of course, they the way they farmed, there was a lot of runoff into the streams and the rivers. It was somewhat difficult at times to get fresh water, and uh, you could get various bacterial diseases from just drinking river water. Um, What's been referred to here is apparently Timothy was struggling with some type of stomach ailment because it says frequent infirmities and the point being made is that this was a if you like a prescription that was given to Timothy saying this will help uh, your stomach condition this is not a endorsement to drink alcohol uh, it was for medical use only and of course we do know that alcohol does have certain medicinal uses. Uh, we use alcohol today to help clean wounds and to help with infection. And that was really the situation that was being addressed there. It was not saying, you know, Timothy, drink alcohol on a regular basis because the Bible tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So this was for a specific health situation.
4: Okay, cool. All right. Thank, Thank you very much.
1: All right, you're welcome. Thanks Thank for calling. You. You know, Pastor Carlos, we do have a book talking about uh, alcohol. It's called Alcohol and the Christian and deals with the subject. And we'll send it to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And just ask for the book. It's called Alcohol and the Christian. We'll be happy to send it to you. That is if you're in North America. Now, if you're outside of North America, we're not going to be able to send you the book. But you can go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org. And you'll be able to read the book for
2: free right there online. Who do we have next? Next, we have Jeff from Montana. Good evening, Jeff. Welcome to Bible Answers Live.
3: I was reading the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, and in verse 34 from the New King James Version, it reads, And the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And I recognize the way that's written. Uh, It's a dangling participle in the sense that is it the unforgiving servant is supposed to repay the master what he owed the master or is it supposed, or is he being the unforgiving servant supposed to pay what was due him of his fellow servant? And I know the latter sentiment might not make as much sense, but I was looking at the Greek word used for pay and it's apodidomy, which can mean to give away or give up or restore or yield. And so I was thinking about what unforgiveness does to us as we are the ones that are tortured by unforgiveness unless we give up or yield through forgiveness what, might, what we might think is owed us. And so I wanted to get your, get your take on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a very good point. Um, people that refuse to forgive others, and, and of course we're talking about situation or experiences that might be very difficult, but a person who holds on to anger and hatred towards another. It might be a family member, and uh, they hate their family member for years and years. The reality is that it's actually eating them up from the inside. But if the person can get to the point with God's help of letting that go, of saying, you know, I forgive them, and placing the person in God's hands, and trusting God's, in God's dealings, there is a sense of peace and a joy that comes. So in one sense, yes, those who refuse to forgive, they bring in upon themselves their own torture. And ultimately, for those who have hurt others, there is a day of reckoning. The Bible makes it clear that there is a judgment, and people will give an account of the things that they have done, especially in hurting others. Revelation talks about Jesus. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his deeds. So, there is a reward for the righteous, but there's also uh, results for the wicked based upon what they have done to hurt other people. But the importance of forgiving each other, of course, that's a commandment that Jesus gave. He says, how can your father in heaven forgive you if you refuse to forgive your fellow man? We're not saying it's always easy to forgive, but by God's grace, one is to ask for that and seek that forgiveness you know when we understand how much God has forgiven us it makes it a little easier for us to be able to forgive our fellow man and that's why we need to receive that forgiveness friends we're taking a
0: short break we'll come back with more Bible questions stay tuned Bible Answers Live will return shortly Amazing Facts offers some of the best Christian resources for all ages We hope our products will enrich your life and your walk with the Lord. In the Blueprint Bible Lessons, you'll uncover the history of good versus evil and learn how this ages-old conflict makes sense of our world and your life. Get yours today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
5: recorded history. Tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove, once and for all, the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit
0: ghosttruth.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Hello friends, welcome back to Bible Answers Live. We're just delighted that you're joining us. We want to welcome those who are listening on radio across the country and also those who are joining us on the internet around the world. And also, Pastor Carlos, those who are watching on AFTV. We've only been broadcasting live on AFTV for about three or four weeks now. So this is exciting. We want to greet those who are watching on AFTV. Again, if you have a Bible-related question, all you have to do is Call the number, it's 800-463-7297 with your Bible question. We have a number of folks waiting to get their questions on the air. So if you don't get, right, you don't get through right away, just stay on the phone and one of our answers
2: will get to you. Well, Pastor Carlos, who do we have uh, next? Next we have Henry calling from the Bronx, New York. Henry, welcome, you are on the air.
6: Was clear, Pastor, born before the Passover or after?
1: Okay, yeah, let me let me give you the answer to that. Um, Cleopatra was born a long time after the Passover. Of course, the Passover was the children of Israel leaving Egypt. Cleopatra wasn't born until around 51 BC. She was actually the daughter of Ptolemy the uh, the sixth, I believe, and he was one of those Greek uh, rulers uh, that was taking control of the area of Egypt and the like. So. Cleopatra was born in 51, around 51 B.C., so, you know, less than 50 years before
2: Christ. Thanks, Henry. Who do we have next? Next we have a question from Barbara, 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 (laughs) from Orlando, Florida. Barbara, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, hello, you guys. Um, My question is uh, Revelation chapter 21. Um, Revelation chapter 21 talks about we will be with God for like a thousand years,
6: mm-hmm.
3: and um, Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. So I'm wondering, um, where like the rest of the world, like the people that believe in God, like where are they gonna be? Will they be dead? Like where exactly are they gonna be? What's gonna happen to okay. them? Like yes, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> Good question. All right, let me give you a quick background to Revelation 20, and uh, then we can talk about the millennium. Revelation 19 ends with a picture of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus described, remember, Revelation is a symbolic book, and Jesus described as coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven. That would be the angels. He's not literally coming on a horse, but uh, a conqueror would often uh, ride um, into battle on a horse to bring deliverance to someone or to gain victory over someone. And so here in Revelation 19, Jesus is pictured as coming on a white horse. It's a symbol of the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes, the wicked will turn to the rocks and the mountains. This is Revelation chapter 6, the last verse, the last couple of verses Revelation 6. The wicked will turn to the rocks and the mountains, and they will say, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Uh, The Bible also tells us in 2 Thessalonians that when the Lord comes, when the second coming takes place, the wicked are destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. So there's two groups when Jesus comes. There are the wicked who are alive, they destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. Then you have the righteous who are alive at the time of Christ's coming, and they are translated, they are transformed, they receive their glorified bodies, and they are caught up to meet Jesus in the air, And you have a third group, which are the resurrected righteous ones. They're also resurrected at the second coming. And they are called up to meet Jesus in the air. Then the righteous will go back to heaven for a thousand years. And Revelation talks about this one thousand year period known as the millennium. So what's happening on earth during the thousand years? Well, all the wicked are dead. The devil and his angels are here on the earth and that's what it talks about in Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about the devil is bound by this chain and he's placed in this bottomless pit. It's not talking about some deep cave. You can't um, restrain a spirit being with a chain, but it's a chain of circumstances. The devil is here on the earth. He has nobody to tempt. He can't go anywhere. God won't let him leave the earth. So for a thousand years, the devil and his angels are here. All the righteous are in heaven, the wicked are dead. Then at the end of the 1,000 years, known as the millennium, you read about in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And the New Jerusalem comes to the earth with all of the saved. It's at that time that Jesus sets his foot on the Mount of Olives and it opens up and it forms a great valley. And the New Jerusalem comes to rest. And then all of the wicked are resurrected. So the righteous are inside the New Jerusalem. The wicked are outside the New Jerusalem, and we have what we call the Great White Throne Judgment. And at the end of that Great White Throne Judgment, according to Revelation chapter 20, it says the wicked surround the beloved city, they surround the New Jerusalem, they try to attack the New Jerusalem, but then fire comes down and devours them. And The fire that destroys the wicked destroys the devil and his angels and purifies the earth. And then God creates a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. So that's just a quick synopsis of events that are to take place from the second coming of Christ to the third coming of Christ that happens at the end of the 1,000-year period.
3: So at that time, will they be judged like the wicked people?
1: Yes. Now, of course, um, the decision is already made as to who's saved and lost at the time of the second coming. So when Jesus comes, the righteous, they're going to be taken to heaven. The wicked, they're going to be destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. But during the 1,000 years where the saints live and reign with Christ for 1,000 years, they will be participating, that is the saved, they'll be participating or um, validating, you might say, the judgments that God has already made. The Bible tells us, maybe Carlos, you can look it up, that the righteous will even judge the angels. Yes. Uh, So during that 1,000-year time period, there is a judgment that occurs and uh, the righteous will even have some part to play in the judgment of the angels, let alone the judgment of the wicked. Um, But at the end of that 1,000 years, the wicked are resurrected where they get a chance to actually see the evidence and they could ask the question, why am I not in the city? God's going to make it very clear. And at the end of that judgment, the Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, even the devil, that Jesus is Lord. But it's not a confession out of guilt or sorrow for sin. It's just an acknowledgment of the evidence, because no sooner do they say that than they try to destroy the New Jerusalem.
2: Yeah, that verse is First Corinthians chapter six, verse three. First Corinthians chapter six, verse three, that says, "Well, oh, do you have it there? Can you read it for us?" Well, I have it in Spanish, but oh, I you can have read it. In it. Spanish. it says, "Will yes. you not know that we shall j- also judge the angels?" How much more then shall we judge the things of this life?
1: All right. Very good translation there, Pastor Carlos.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Does that help, Barbara?
3: Yes. Thank you very much. All
1: right. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. Thank you. You know, we do have a study guide that talks about the 1,000-year period. It's called 1,000 Years of Peace. And if you'd like to learn more about that, we'll be happy to send it to you. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And you can
2: ask for the study guide. It's called 1,000 Years of Peace. Who do we have next? Next, we have Malaura from Wyoming. Welcome to the Bible Answers Live.
3: In the last year, I have made a lifestyle change, and I have become vegan, and I have added exercise, and I have added, um, I have been studying my Bible every day for, gosh, at least 18 months now. I have done everything that everybody has suggested I do, but I still suffer continually with depression, some days it is just all I can do to get out of bed.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I really don't. So if you could just tell me, please. Well, I, I lost mean, over 70 pounds. I mean, I, I,
4: you know, I, I've worked really hard.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, Mallory, I, I can understand. Um, I've worked with folks and had church members and even folks close to me that have struggled with depression and You know, depression is one of those things that uh, when you're feeling depressed, it's easy to blame yourself and say, you know, I must be a bad person. There must be something that I'm doing wrong. I think we need to recognize that depression, uh, there's a number of causes. One could be somebody goes through a dramatic experience. It could be uh, the result of a loss of a family member. It could just be a genetic disposition. It could be a chemical imbalance. There are many different reasons for depression. One could be spiritual. But that's not always the case. We even have examples in the Bible of, of faithful men and women who suffered depression. You read some of the Psalms where David was very depressed and he says, oh, I wish I could die. Uh, Job went through a terrible time of depression as a result of the trials that came to him. So just because a person is facing or experiencing depression, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them or that they're a great sinner or they have turned away from God. But I think we live in a world where there is sin. And some of the consequences of sin that we do have is suffering and pain and sorrow, which can be depression. So the first thing I want to tell you is don't don't be reluctant. Do everything you're doing, which sounds like you are. You're spending time in prayer. You're reading your Bible. You, you're living healthfully. You're eating well. You're trying to get your exercise. But uh, don't be reluctant to search uh, for and find medical help as well. Um, there are things that can be done to help a person through difficult bouts of depression. Uh, Some people just have mild depression. Others might go into very severe depression, and they need need some medical help to to get them back, whether that's a medication or maybe some type of a treatment. So I would encourage you to explore all of those options. But despite the depression, the good news is God loves you, and He's able to help you. Never give up. Keep praying. Keep seeking for help. And then utilize all the resources that uh, God has made available to us and realize that depression is an illness just like any other illness. It can can be, and it can have real physical um, results. So take advantage of any medical help that you can get to try and relieve that depression. And keep keep it a burden of prayer. As, as I know, it's a difficult thing to go through. Um, you know, Pastor Carlos, it's. I think part of the reason we have those examples in the Bible of people who have suffered depression is to help us because everybody goes through some time of difficulty, some more than others. And it could be family relations, could be genetic for some folks. But just because we're depressed, it doesn't mean God loves us less or that we're a great sinner because some very godly men and women in the Bible suffer depression. I think of Elijah, the great man of God, the prophet of God after Mount Carmel. He got so depressed, he said, Lord, just let me die. So yes, but of course God sustained him and brought him through. So keep holding on to God. Keep trusting Him. Do everything you can. Uh, Look for medical help where needed. But ultimately, God is the great physician, so hold on to him and keep trusting him.
2: I I just want to tell Malara that I used to suffer from depression too. And uh, there's one Bible verse that really helped me a lot. It's Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the jaw of the Lord is everlasting strength. Mm-hmm. So take these Bible promises and write them around the house, around your room. And every time you feel depressed, every time you feel like you don't want to continue or you feel overwhelmed, look at those promises and hold on to them. Pray to Absolutely. God and and, and, and and ask him for victory over that. And when we know that, that, that the Lord wants to give us a complete victory. That's right. And never give up.
1: Keep trusting the Lord. Remember, the promise is that when Jesus comes, these mortal bodies will receive immortality and we won't be struggling with the same things that we have here in these, in these uh, mortal bodies that we have now. Amen. So we'll keep you in prayer, Meloria. Mal-
2: Who do we have next? Next we have Lisa from Oklahoma. Good evening, Lisa. You're on the air.
4: Hi. Um, so my question is, um, looking at Abraham's example of when God told him to take his son and to sacrifice his son. How how did he know that that was God's voice and that it wasn't a deception? Because, I mean, something like that is crazy, and if something like that happened now, he'd be put in jail for it. But, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? He had to have some reassurance that this was something that was from God and not his, yes. his crazy mind or...
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, several things first of all is um remember this test didn't come to Abraham until he was you know a hundred and twenty years old, so he had walked with the Lord for many years, and God spoke to him even to leave his home in Ur and go to the promised land and There were many occasions where God communicated with Abraham directly. Abraham had a very special relationship with God. So when God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice, it was not just a impression that he had. It wasn't just a thought that flashed into his mind. It was very evident that this was God speaking to him. Um, it was clear. Abraham knew. And I'm sure when Abraham received this message from God that he was to sacrifice his son, I'm sure Abraham spent earnest hours in prayer. You can only imagine Uh, how Abraham must have prayed and prayed and said, Lord, please, are you sure? Is this this really what you want me to do? And he trusted God to know that if he was misled, God would reveal that to him. And so until God would direct him elsewhere, he was going to be faithful and keep following what God had told him to do. And of course, throughout that whole experience, he still believed that Isaac was to be resurrected. He believed that even if he did sacrifice his son, he would be resurrected from the dead because he claimed the promise of God. So uh, it wasn't presumption on Abraham's part, because he was always looking for a different way that God might direct. But he was saying, Lord, until you direct me otherwise, I'm going to f- faithfully follow your instruction. And I think, in, uh, Pastor Carlos, in the same way, if if God is asking us to do something and we are sincere and we seek to know God's will, we can trust that if we are being misled and we are wanting to do what's right, God will reveal that to us. He'll make it clear to us and say, no, 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 that's, that's not what I want you to do. You're going down the wrong path. Amen. He'll make that very clear. And that's kind of what Abraham, I think, was looking for in that situation as well. Amen. Does that uh, help, Lisa? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: All right. Very good. Well, thanks for your call. All right. Who do we have next?
2: Next we have Ali. Calling from Newark, New Jersey. Good afternoon. Good evening, Ali. You are on the air.
3: Hey, Pastor Ross. Hey, Pastor Carlos. Um, Hello. thanks for taking my call. My, can you hear me?
2: Yeah, yeah, we can hear you.
3: Okay, okay, okay. Um, my question is: How can we walk in a close fellowship with God and Jesus, like Enoch, Abraham, and Noah, and all the other men of faith did? And what does that look like on a day-to-day on a day-to-day basis?
1: Okay, good question. Yes, practically. I think it begins in the morning. You know, The very moment you awake in the morning, the first thing to do is to start your day by communing with God. Uh, One of the things I do, the first thought that comes to my head when I wake up in the morning is uh, I want to thank the Lord for another day of life, but I want to surrender my life to Him. And I say, Lord, today uh, my life is your life. I want to do those things that you want me to do. I surrender my heart. I surrender my mind. I surrender my entire being. And then we need to spend time communing with God, spend time in His Word, spend time in prayer. And then throughout the day, we want to keep that open communion with God, that connection where we don't just think of God in the morning and maybe for a little bit in the evening before we go to bed. But throughout the day, we're communing with God. And that's what it means to walk with God. It means to communicate with God, to commune with God throughout the day. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will even convict us and say, man, you're getting so busy on all these other things that you haven't actually... uh, you haven't communicated with me, you haven't prayed, you haven't thought of of me. But if we're earnestly seeking to know God and to be in harmony with Him, God will guide us uh, into a deeper experience. This doesn't happen overnight. Remember, Enoch was 300 plus years before he was translated. Noah lived a long age. Abraham was a faithful follower of God. And so we can grow, we can develop this closer union with God and that's the goal as the Christian is to come as close to God as we can and I think also Pastor Carlos just recognizing the presence of God sometimes we forget that God is here Jesus said I'll never leave you nor forsake you the Holy Spirit is with us and and recognizing that, that God knows us he's concerned about us he wants to guide us in the big things in life and the little things in life and recognizing that God is with us
2: Amen All right, Ali, thanks for your call hope that helps who do we have next? Next we have Bobby from College Place, Washington.
4: Uh, my question is regarding um, Genesis two seven, where it talks about um, God breathing into man's nostrils and man becoming a living soul. But then sometimes people tell me, no, that's not right kind of thing. And they refer me to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where it talks about, your whole spirit, soul, and body being preserved. Um, So is there some kind of contradiction there? Well, um,
1: the word soul in the Bible is used in different ways. Um, When you're reading in Genesis and it says, God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. Uh, Other translations, New King James says a living being. So the word soul can can refer to a, a living being, an individual, but there is also that essence of um, consciousness that we have, or our character, our personality. Sometimes in Scripture that's referred to as spirit or or soul, um, sort of the inner part, our, our thoughts, our feelings. Uh, and it's used interchangeably, just like the word spirit and breath is used interchangeably in Scripture. We even have examples of animal life referred to in the Bible as uh, every th- every living soul that was in the sea died. It's talking about the fish or every soul on the land died during the time of the flood. So the word soul has different meanings. So yes, it does mean, just like the word spirit, it can mean our, our entire being. Uh, it talks about so many souls that maybe perished or so many souls that we need to battle, or so many souls in a nation or an army. But the word soul can also refer to a person's consciousness or their character or personality. So you've got to look at the context of the verse. Okay, But uh, again, we're not saying that the soul is immortal. And I guess that's the point of of dispute that some people have. Some people believe that uh, the soul cannot die. Now that's not biblical. The Bible makes it clear that Adam became a living soul when you had the breath of life combined with the body. Uh, that's that's when we have a living being. So the Bible doesn't speak of an immortal soul.
4: And once the, the breath goes bye-bye, then there's no longer a soul.
1: Correct. Yep, at least in that sense of being being a living being.
4: All right, well, thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate your call.
1: Uh,
2: I think we have time for a few more calls, Pastor Carlos. Who do we, we have do? next? All right, let's go with Samuel from New York. City. Samuel, you're on the air.
6: Hey, hello, Pastor Carlos. Hello, Pastor Ross. How you doing? Doing well. So, uh, before I ask my question, I just want to fill in a little bit of background. I'm just asking this question because a uh, few years ago I just got betrayed by the person that I love and just after that I just got a turning point where I just, I was a Christian. I was going to church and doing all the rituals. but I kind of didn't notice God. Like, I didn't talk about God or read the Bible or really pray. But after that, I just got a turning point, just turn myself in and just think about Him on a daily basis. And now I'm reading the Bible from beginning to end Um, kind of going through it. But recently, ever since I got that turning point, I've just been falling through this just single scene where um the person that I love and uh, just been falling on lost of scene where I just keep falling, I just keep mm-hmm. Uh, falling into my knees begging for forgiveness but then it's just, I keep just doing it and doing it and doing it and of course I got the memory of that verse on Hebrews 10 that says if we willingly keep sinning then there's no forgiveness for sin and of course I know the interpretation of that verse which is if somebody goes out of their way and just a full, living a full life of sin, I know the interpretation but I also know that it's better to be married than burned with pa- passion. So but my question really is, uh, my my question really is, uh, let's say that um, I just died tomorrow, but I just recognize God and I thought about Him and I read the Bible and okay. I pray. Well, I just we... keep falling to this single sin. Do you think God will deny me the entrance to the kingdom? Okay. Um...
1: So the question then, if I'm understanding correctly, Samuel, is what do we do if we're a believer and we find ourselves struggling with a particular sin and we keep stumbling over and over again? Does this verse in Hebrews 10:26 apply, which says, For if we sin willfully after we receive a knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sins. Well, you know, if that was the criteria, I think all of us would be in trouble. Because I don't know of one Christian that has not stumbled over the same sin multiple times, whether it be gossip or whether it be overeating or whatever it might be. Um, The good news is that God is able to save. He's able to save to the uttermost. This verse is talking about an open, high-handed rebellion against God. That's when a person gets to the point where they don't ask for forgiveness where they begin to make excuses for sin, excusing sin in their life, or saying that it's not really sin or that it doesn't matter. That's a dangerous thing. But if we recognize that what we are doing or what we have done is wrong and it's a violation of God's commandments and we sincerely ask for forgiveness, the Bible promises us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also need to recognize that not only does God want to forgive us, but He wants to empower us. He wants to enable us to live a victorious Christian life. How do we gain the victory over sin? We have to claim the promises found in the Bible. That's how Jesus overcame sin, and that's the example that He has set for us. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When we face temptation, the thing we must do right away Before that temptation becomes overwhelming, we need to turn to the Lord. Pray right then and there and say, Lord, please help me. Give me the victory. Just like Peter when he began to sink in the water and all he could do was lift up his hand and say, Lord, save me. Sometimes that's all we can do is say, Lord, please save me. And then start quoting promises from the Bible. You know, I don't know of anyone that's able to sin while they're quoting Bible promises and they're on their knees praying, asking for deliverance. God will provide that strength. It's when Amen. we don't take advantage of the power that God wants to give us that we stumble and fall into sin. You know, we have a book. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation. And it gives a step-by-step guide on how we can live a victorious Christian life. How we can overcome those, those besetting sins, whatever they might be. And each person, it's a little different. If you'd like to receive that book for anyone wanting to live a victorious Christian life, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And you can just ask for the book. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation. We'll be happy to send that to anyone here in North America. If you're outside of North America, you can read the book for free by going to the Amazing Facts website. Now, for those who are listening on the radio, some of you will be tuning off those on satellite. But for those who are listening online or at Amazing Facts TV, stay tuned. We have a special bonus question that is coming right
0: up. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome back to our special bonus feature of Bible Answers Live. Something new that we're doing. In the next few minutes, we're going to be taking some of the questions that folks have emailed to us. If you have a Bible question that you'd like to have us answer on the air, that you'd like to email instead of calling in, we have an email address. And Pastor Carlos, you've got it right there. What's that email address? It's
2: B-A-L questions at AmazingFacts.org. B-A-L as in Bible Answers Live. B-A-L questions at amazingfacts.org. All right,
1: excellent. So if you have a Bible question, be sure to email that to us if that's going to be better than calling in. Well, Pastor Carlos, who do we have for tonight?
2: We have uh, two questions here. The first one is from Derek Brown. Is everybody called to be a minister or to go into ministry?
1: Is everyone called to be a minister? No, not everyone is called to be a minister because we know that uh, there are different gifts of the Spirit. So God has given some to be uh, teachers and preachers and evangelists some administrative skills some to be helpers and helping with different areas or caring for others some have the gift of languages so each person has a different gift but are we all to be sharers of the love of Christ absolutely so in one sense we all to be missionaries not all ministers meaning that we pastors but we should all be looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus And especially with those who have never experienced the love of Christ or who are not Christians. Now, that might be a family member, a neighbor, Mm -hmm. maybe a colleague. So, yes, all of us have a part to do in trying to share the good news of salvation with others.
2: Amen. The uh, next question is from James from Massachusetts. He says, I heard in heaven we will still grow every million years. And my question is, will we ever get old in heaven? Or will we ever get old in heaven? Well, there is probably an age, a perfect age, whatever that might be,
1: that we think of here on earth. I don't know, maybe it's 30, 35, 40, 27, (laughs) whatever it might be, uh, that perfect age. Uh, For those who are under that perfect age, whatever that might be, there will be some growth in heaven. But we ultimately will be what God has purposed for us to be throughout all eternity. We know in heaven children will grow up, because the Bible does speak of children being in heaven, but they will grow up. And uh, eventually, uh, it's kind of a sad so- thought, even though there won't be sadness in heaven, but the children will grow up and uh, you won't you won't get old in the sense of what old is here. Of course, we have all eternity to get to know Christ even more and those who are saved and being the earth made new. So thank you, friends, for your calls and uh, the emails that you sent. Again, we want to remind you that Bible Answers Live is... On the air because of your support. So, thank you for your faithful giving to amazing facts to help keep Bible answers on the air. We look forward to meeting with you again next week. Until then, God bless.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode.